in Him our all in all. That's the daily growing struggle, isn't it? Many days we fall short. Turn with me back to Romans. Romans chapter 4. We've been working our way through the book of Romans. That's our habit here at Grace Church. We occasionally interrupt it, but normally we are working through books of Romans, books of the Bible, which is currently the book of Romans, which is an advantage for you. You get to know what we're going to preach. You get to mire up in it. You get to read and study it ahead of time. You take it away and study it after, um, growing in the grace. I have a lot of work to do, prepare sermons. You have a lot of work to do to be faithful with them. God holds us accountable for everything we hear. Mark 4. So do the work to grow in grace, to mind the word, to understand it, to live in its light, to ask questions when you don't understand. But we followed Paul through an introduction of himself, through a statement of his thesis of the book of Romans, which is the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We've seen him establish Gentile guilt, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 to the end, and then turn his guns on the Jews, and thus conclude that both Jew and Gentile have broken God's law, are under condemnation, and need a Savior. Jews, Jews had some advantages in having the oracles of God, but, you know, didn't, didn't take advantage of those advantages and were sinful just like the Gentiles and needing a Savior. So he concludes the, the section of, of introducing the gospel and then the section of showing universal need of the gospel with the statement that no one will be justified by keeping God's law. And then he picks up in chapter 3 verse 21 beginning to talk about justification by faith alone. And since we started in verse 21 we've heard and seen a lot about justification by faith alone. And at some point you might be saying, we've already heard that. Well, you know what? You know how often you need to hear that? Every day. But this section is about justification by faith alone. And there are different elements to it as we move through. And uh, they're here for a purpose. And we're picking it up in chapter 4. After Paul has established the fact that uh, those who believe in Jesus are credited his righteousness, are forgiven for their sins through his propitiation, that God is, and he's still really answering this question that we saw um, at the end of, of chapter 3. Uh, or is God the God of the Jews only, or is he the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. One God, one way of salvation, justification uh, by faith alone. And then he's used Abraham as his example, exhibit A. He's taken us to David in, in verses 6 to 8, showing that uh, the blessed life, the blessedness of being credited with Christ's righteousness, of being forgiven of our sins so that none of those will be held against us. And now he's going to take us back to Abraham and talk about the sign of the covenant and, and uh, showing that Jew and Gentiles are both Abraham is father of both. So that's what we're going to pick up this morning. But I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 4 to verse 12, and then we'll focus on verse 9 to 12. 
This is God's word. Romans 4.1. What, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And see, he's still explaining this scripture, Genesis 15, 6. And we'll do so through what we're talking about today. But Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose, here's the purpose. The purpose was, or so that, or however that's stated in your translation. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, may your, may your spirit teach us this morning from your word and apply these things to us. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Help us to hear your word in the power of the spirit. Loving it, treasuring it, seeking to understand it and live in its light. Show us how this text should change the way we think and the way we live. So, Lord, bless me to preach the word in the power of the Spirit. Bless us to hear it that way. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We know we are doing your will. And so we ask for it and trust for it. In the holy name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That teaching came down from Judea and was the reason that eventually spurred the Jerusalem council. It's something that Paul had to deal with and had to deal with in the book of Galatians because some of the Jews were still stuck in the Old Covenant. Some were still requiring the Old Covenant sign. You had to become a Jew to become a Christian. 
And, and you know, you can understand it. I mean, this is God speaking in Genesis chapter 17. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So does one have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian or in order to be saved? Is God's grace only for those who are physically circumcised? Can those who are not physically circumcised be saved without being circumcised? What is the nature of this covenant sign? What is its power? What is its purpose? As we think about new covenant realities, we can ask those same questions about baptism. And we're going to be thinking about these. And I'll go ahead and tell you up front, I'm not going to say everything you want me to say probably. But there'll be more places in Romans we talk about baptism. I'm going to try to keep Paul's point in this text in its context clear this morning, though. So that we show what he's actually communicating. You give me permission to preach two hours and we'll do more. <laughs> but we've reviewed, we, we've reviewed Romans. We see where we are. We're in the section of Jew and Gentile, justif- justified by faith alone. And if you wanted to use another summary of the book of Romans, you see it this way. One problem. There's one problem. Jews and Gentiles are sinners and under righteous condemnation. There's one solution. Justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so there's one way for Jew and Gentile. Repent and trust Jesus for salvation. And Paul again is still answering the question about Jew and Gentile and how does this work together? Is God favoring one over the other? Do the Jews sort of get a... He's, he's answering that question from 329. And he's expounding Genesis 15, 6, which he's quoted here. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Today we're going to look and see that what Paul is communicating here is that Jew and Gentile in Messiah are now one people with one head, the seed of Abraham, Partakers of the promise. And we could go to Galatians to talk more about that. Jews and Gentiles who have taken that one way of trust in Christ alone and repentance. So the text this morning is 4, 9 to 12. The title is uh, The Father of All Who Believe. You know, we in the American church probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about Abraham being our father. Us being the seed of Abraham. Us inheriting those promises. Well, we really should. And we'll hint at it again. But read this. Read Galatians. You'll see, you'll see a lot of that. But the main point today, Jew or Gentile, trust Christ alone and you too will be part of the one people of God, the seed of Abraham. And Paul is proving this point and he's talking about circumcision. So he's bringing Abraham to the fore who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he's going to ask some questions. 
any good teacher. But first, let's look at the timing of Abraham's circumcision in verses 9 through the first part of verse 11. So after recounting the blessing in verses 6 through 9, what is the blessing? Forgiveness, not having your sins counted against you, and righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ being credited to you through faith alone and not by works. That's last week where we sort of summed up and summarized. You know, when we say Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, He was buried and He was raised the third day for our justification. What does that mean? Well, we're simply talking about the simple message of salvation that's so simple that children, our children can get it. God saving His people through the life, death, resurrection of His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And salvation is through trusting Him. Are you trusting Him? If you are, you're living the blessed life. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. I don't have time to rehearse that. But is that blessing, that blessing of salvation, forgiveness and crediting of righteousness, is it only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? This is the central question of this little section. And when you see circumcised, think Jew. Uncircumcised, think Gentile. Is it only for the Jew? Well, he's going to prove that it's not only for the Jew by recounting Abraham's justification and the timing of that. The timing of it. And then the timing of his receiving the sign of circumcision. He had believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look at this, verse 10. How then was it credited? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Great question. What was the timing of the situation there? Was Abraham circumcised and then credited or counted righteousness? Or did he believe and was counted righteous and then later he was circumcised as a believer? Paul says, now look what he says. I mean, this is simple. This is right on the page. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He was counted righteous before he was circumcised. And it wasn't even close. Some 14 years later, 14 years later is when he was circumcised. But he was righteous that whole time. Because his righteousness was not his own. He had seen God's promises. He had looked through God's promises to God's Messiah. He had believed indeed the gospel. You find that in, in Galatians as well. And he was declared righteous just as we are when we trust in Jesus. So Paul's going to use that timing to prove a point. Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. He was made a child of God before he was circumcised. Genesis, I mean, it's pretty simple. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. 
I don't know if they still teach math that well in school, but. So what is, what is, he, what is he saying here? Look what he, he goes on to say. He received the sign of circumcision. And, and listen, in the Greek, this is an apposition when it says seal. It's, it's telling us more about the sign. However, that is put in your, in your translation. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So I've just said, it was some 14 years between the, fact, the time that he was declared righteous and the time that he was circumcised. So he was obviously righteous in God's sight before he was circumcised. And after Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, he receives the sign. What's called the sign of the covenant. The sign of circumcision. Parents, I'm going to let you all explain what that is to your children. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The righteousness that he had before. So Paul's going to make a big deal out of this timing. So what was circumcision all about? He's telling us here it was a sign. And even God says that. If you go back and read Genesis 17, it says it's a sign of the covenant in your flesh. It's an external sign that symbolizes an internal work of God that had taken place in Abraham's heart. An outward sign of God's inward work in him through faith. The sign of circumcision. We know that in, in those he would save, and we see it in Deuteronomy 36, other places, that he would circumcise hearts. There's a lot going on there. But it was a sign of God's work of grace in his life that is also, comma, a seal of the righteousness that he already had. What is a seal? It's an authenticating mark of confirmation. Uh, the seal of circumcision, quote, confirms, documents, ratifies, and authenticates the right standing by faith that Abraham already had. That's Tom Schreiner. It seals or confirms God's faithfulness to His promises that those who have faith in Him experience his work of grace. It confirms God's faithfulness to justify the one who has faith. Abraham had been justified. Now he's receiving the sign some 14 years later. What's Paul? Paul is making a point of timing here that he's going to apply and use as, as a teaching here. He's making a point that Abraham believed and was counted righteous before he received the sign. The sign was a sign and seal of the work of God's grace and of God's promises and the work of God's grace in his life. The sign didn't make him a believer. He already was. The sign didn't make him righteous. He already was. The power was not in the sign. It was in the God who gave the sign and used it to picture His work of grace. The outward 
So much confusion comes from confusing the sign with the thing signified these days. We'll talk more about that. This may, I mean, use this illustration as it fits. But I remember when I was going through uh, all forms of school, uh, <clears throat> and you wanted to be on a certain team. See, they didn't just give trophies to everybody then. They didn't give uniforms to everybody then. If you wanted to be on a certain team, you had to do what's called trying out. In other words, they were going to see if you had the God-gifted talent necessary to be qualified to be on that team. And I remember the excitement, especially, this says nothing about me, it was a small school. But I remember my excitement of making the varsity basketball team when I was in the eighth grade. And I remember the joy of having that uniform that they gave me. But that uniform didn't make me a basketball player. And that uniform wasn't what qualified me to be on the team. But it was a symbol of the fact that I had been accepted on the team and could now join those practices and sit on that bench, which is mostly what I did, <laughs> and play on that team. But it, you, it wasn't the basis of my being on the team. And neither, neither is circumcision or the sign of the covenant the basis for anybody being in Christ. It doesn't communicate righteousness in and of itself. It doesn't qualify. It didn't make, as I said, make Abraham a believer. It didn't make Abraham righteous. It was his obedience to take the sign of the covenant that glorified God. And God had all the right in the world to put the qualifications on that. And he did. But so just, just a couple of things. So the sign did not produce righteousness. It evidenced it. There's a big difference between those two. The sign was assigned by God. As a seal, it confirms God's promises. And number four, Abraham was already a believer when he was circumcised. And we are going to make some application of that to baptism just to to help us, but we'll do that in a bit. Douglas Moo says this in his commentary. I think Joel's got a slide because this is a long quote. But he says this, Abraham's circumcision confirms his righteous status, a status that was his by virtue of his faith. Circum now watch this. Circumcision, therefore, has no independent value. It cannot affect one's entrance into the people of God, nor does it even mark a person as belonging to God's people apart from a prior justifying act. Abraham was declared righteous while he was still uncircumcised. His later circumcision add nothing materially to that transaction. It simply signified it and confirmed it. It added nothing to God's saving grace, to God's justifying and declaring him righteousness. It simply signified it and confirmed it. It was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he already had. He was already a believer. He was already right with God. We say it this way. He was already right with God as a Gentile before he became a Jew through the receiving of the sign. Okay, so Paul, why are you telling us all this? 
Why are you sort of going through this timeline of Abraham and giving us these labels for circumcision? He tells us. I love it when the Word just asks and answers questions. Secondly, the purpose of Abraham's circumcision. Look in, look in verse 11b, the second part. The purpose. Circle that. Under, you, know, when you, ever, you get so that. Uh, that's telling you purpose. Things like that. The purpose was to make him the father... Now watch this. The purpose of him being made right before he was circumcised, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So first, he's, Abraham is the father, and the purpose was. Notice that word purpose, and however that's in your translation, so that. Notice that God was in charge of the events of Abraham's life, so that they played out in a particular way that he wanted them to play out, and therefore they prove a particular point. It didn't just happen by chance that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. God is sovereign. He's in control. There's not a maverick molecule. He's accomplishing His purpose. We're still free and responsible, right? To choose what we love most. Never mind. We won't go into all that this morning. But the purpose. God had a purpose and He achieved that purpose just like He achieves all of His purposes because He is sovereign and in control. He's not reactionary. Nothing ever occurs to God. He's never surprised by anything. The purpose, God's purpose, here's the purpose, was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And you, probably most of us in this room, should say hallelujah. Right? Because I'm not a Jew. But I get righteousness credited to me through faith in Jesus Christ. So can a person be saved without becoming a Jew? Yes. Because Abraham is their father. And the timing proves that. The father of all believing Gentiles so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. They would be justified by faith alone. Now watch this in verse 12. Look at that first word, and. So this is true of the Gentiles, and. Watch this. He's the father of those who who believe without being circumcised, and to also, you could say, make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's the father of, of those who are not circumcised but come to faith, they are counted righteous. And He's the Father of those who are circumcised and yet come to faith. Notice they're circumcised, but they had to come to faith. That circumcision didn't get them in in and of itself. To make Him the Father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before He was circumcised. In other words, it's not enough to to just have the mark or the sign of the covenant without the heart. What is required is true faith. How do I know my faith is real? 
Well, I go back and listen to that sermon we preached on James. I'm not getting into that today. But real faith is faith that is walked out, that obeys God and grows in it. The faith, the kind of faith, the real faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's the father of those who are not merely circumcised in the flesh, the bare sign, but have genuine faith that grows in joyful obedience. So look at this. If Abraham is the father of the Gentiles who have faith without being circumcised, and if he's the father of the Jews who have faith, and they come to faith even after being circumcised, then God has brought the two together. And he has shown that he is not just the God of the Jews, but the God of the Gentiles as well. With one father, earthly, speaking of Abraham, right? Father of, of the Gentiles, father of the Jews, one people who have been justified by faith alone. One, in the new covenant, there's one unified people of God made up of Jews and Gentiles. Not two. Paul says this in Galatians, and I encourage you to go read the whole book. He's dealing with the Judaizing heresy and, and virtually what I quoted up front. But in, in chapter 3, he says, Then there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. This is not removing all distinctions, okay? It's position in Christ. For you are all, watch this, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, seed in Christ, heir of the promises, heirs according to promise. One unified people saved by God. One prob they all had one problem. They were all saved one way. They have partaken of one solution, which is trusting in Christ alone, whether Jew or Gentile. The sign didn't get them in. The sign wasn't what communicated righteousness. It was faith through which they were made righteous. The sign had a real purpose and it was a good thing and it was a, it was a necessary thing. But the power wasn't in the sign. It was in what the sign signified. In God's work of grace. But now Jew and Gentile are one people in Christ. Let me, I'm just going to read. You can go back and read this later. I'm probably going to read it pretty fast. I'm only going to compare two verses but um, I want to read for you Ephesians. Just turn to the right and you'll find Ephesians after Corinthians and Galatians. Um, I'm going to re read verses 11 through the end of the chapter in Ephesians. And, and listen to what Paul is saying to those Gentiles and getting them to remember. And now who they were and now who they are in Christ Jesus. Watch this closely. Therefore, remember at that time, when you were without Christ, at that time, uh, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, see, we're defining terms as we move back and forth, by what is called the circumcision, look, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ. Therefore, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Here comes the good news. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now watch. Who has made us both one. Both who? Circumcised, uncircumcised. Jew and Gentile. Who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Think Mosaic Covenant there. That he might create in himself, look, one new man in place of the two. The churches, there's no Jew and Gentile, there's one new man in Christ Jesus. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now watch this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom all the structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a lot there, but you see the the same thing. Jew and Gentile brought together in Christ. One new man, one new body, temple of God. But look, look what happens here in verses 12 and 19. Look in verse 12 right quick. Remember that you were at that time. Now here's what was true of those Gentiles before they came to Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and had no hope. So that was true before Christ. Now hold that next to verse 19. Still talking to Gentiles. So then, you are no, look at this. You are no longer strangers, strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You Gentiles who have come to faith are no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In fact, you've been included into it. You're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. You've been included into that. You've been grafted in. We'll talk about that when we get to Romans chapter 11. That the unbelieving Jews were broken off and the believing Gentiles were grafted into that one tree, which is Israel. Look at it. Verse 19. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer, verse 12, alienated from Israel. You're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. See, before salvation, the Gentiles were alienated from Israel. They were strangers to the covenants. But after salvation, they're no longer aliens to Israel. They're no longer strangers to the covenant because they're now one people in Christ, Jew and Gentile, true Israel. It's not replacement theology, it's inclusion. All of God's promises to Israel hold and come true. It's just the Gentiles are grafted into that. The church is not a different body, right? Certainly there's still physical Israel and Gentiles. And of those two groups are made up true Israel or the church, however you want to say that. One people of God with Abraham as their father. Circumcision. Not required. We've transitioned. We're not in the old covenant anymore. We're in the new. Circumcision is not the sign of the covenant anymore. Baptism is. Again, we'll talk way more about baptism later. But look at just a couple points of application and I'm done. The first point of application is this. Keep the sign a sign. 
What do you mean by that? Which I said, it, it, this holds true, it holds true for circumcision. It also holds true for baptism. We don't have time to go there. But we are, you know, baptism has no more power in and of itself than circumcision has. Physical water baptism. The sign signifies the saving work of God. It doesn't cause it. It doesn't cause it. Can you be saved without being baptized? I've got a few heads nodding. Yeah. Thief on the cross didn't. Don't tell me it rained. <laughs> Thief on the cross didn't get baptized. Now, ordinarily speaking, you should be baptized in obedience to God because it is the sign of the covenant He requires. But keep the sign a sign. There's so much confusion. We turn the sign into the thing signified. It signifies union with Christ through faith, which is what saves. But we want to pull that power and give it to the sign. The sign signifies the saving work of God. It doesn't cause it. The timing of Abraham's circumcision proves this. He was righteous before receiving the sign. Circumcision didn't save, and baptism doesn't save. I remember being confused about that when I had come to faith and we were being baptized thinking, I'm not real sure what all this is doing. I know I'm supposed to do it. And I really want it to work. Whatever it's supposed to do. It did. But it wasn't to make me righteous. Baptism doesn't save. It's a sign and a seal like circumcision of God's crediting righteousness through faith. See, if you come and talk to us about membership, why would we not receive a Roman Catholic baptism? Why would we ask you in love to be rebaptized? Or let me change that, to be baptized for the first time. Because they have this confusion with the sign. And they see that sign as the sign giving justifying grace. What about Church of Christ or Campbellite? See, if it's an unbiblical baptism, it wasn't a baptism. That's why we would ask you to be baptized. But if you were baptized in a, in a church of like faith, even if you're Presbyterian, you were baptized as an infant in a Reformed church that doesn't see the sign as anything but a sign and a symbol of entrance into the visible body of Christ, we wouldn't ask you to be re-baptized then. But keep the sign a sign. Like circumcision, baptism does not produce righteousness. It's a sign given by God. It's a seal confirming God's promises. But the power to save is not in the sign. It's in what it signifies. God who saves through union with Christ. God saves through what the sign signifies. So keep the sign the sign. Application number two. Embrace the unified body of Christ. Let the Gentiles into Israel for crying out loud. Christ did. One father, Abraham, Gentile, Jew, one new man, one body, no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The Israel of God, Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 6. And, and speaking of Jews, not all who are of Israel are Israel. 
There's a physical Israel that it is that only that is no more saved than the uncircumcised Gentile who doesn't know Christ. Embrace the unified body of Christ. Jew and Gentile believers together, one new man, one body. Remember, Romans is pointing out, Jew and Gentile have one problem. It is sin. One solution. Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, who lived for us that we might have a perfect righteousness credited to us, who died for us to pay the penalty for our sins as the Lamb of God, who was raised for our justification, who reigns and is coming again and gives salvation as a free gift. So there's one way, and it's trusting in Him. See, I'll stop more. We'll talk more about these things. But the Jews in Paul's day, and many in our day, struggled to see how one could be saved without the sign. They saw the sign as the way in instead of the sign and seal of the way in. Faith union with Christ. Abraham, as the father of all who believe, shows that both Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then the sign gives testimony to that. So remembering our main point, trust Christ alone, whether Jew or Gentile, and you too will be part of the one people of God, a child of God, with a future hope that takes you all the way to the new heavens and new earth. To live is Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to believe you, to live in the light of your word, to honor you, to love you, to be fit vessels to carry this truth by being forgiven and cleansed and clothed in your righteousness justified, adopted into your family, empowered by your spirit to love you, live for you, and be light and salt for you. Use us to reach those who are trusting in all other things besides you. And help us to believe your word, Lord. Help us to see our privileged and blessed position to be included by faith in your covenant. Jew and Gentile, one new man, one new body, completely forgiven and fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those who, as David would say, are surrounded with favor as a shield. So save and sanctify your people. Grow us and mold us and shape us and use us for your glory. May we be faithful with this same gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.